0: Accessing library computer data.
1: Out there, there are no saints. Just people.
0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to the show. We're continuing our Star Trek Deep Space Nine coverage. We are up to the episode called Meridian. It is the eighth episode of the third season. First aired the 14th of November, 1994. Teleplay goes to Mark Garrett O'Connell, whose name I remember as not being a good writer of a previous episode, but I can't place which one it is. Story goes to Hillary J. Bader and Evan Carlos Summers. Um, just to continue that, Hillary J. Bader, I know, has written good episodes. Evan Carlos Summers, I believe, is responsible for Melora, uh, directed by Jonathan Frakes. This is one of the, I think he had four directoral credits for Frakes on this show. Anyway, in this episode, Jedzia falls in love with a scientist on a planet whose inhabitants shift between this universe and a plane of pure energy, reemerging every 60 years. Back on DS9, Quark tries to obtain a hollow image of Major Kira for an erotic suite program for a wealthy patron. It's Meridian. We're joined by Brad. Brad, how are you? Welcome
1: back. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm good. How are you doing with us?
0: Pretty, pretty good. Um, I watched this episode <laughs> this morning, so maybe I'm not doing as well as I thought I'm I was sorry. doing. Um, is... I wonder where to start with this one This is a Dax episode And I think think we'll have a lot to say about it I'm just going to play an audio clip right now Before we actually get into the meat and and potatoes of this one So I'm going to play an audio clip Me and Brad will come back And we're going to break down Meridian We exist as
1: pure consciousness
0: And Meridian
1: It becomes non-corporeal as well But when we return to this dimension Everything is just as we left it the buildings, the trees, even our bodies. Are
0: you saying that when you return here, it's as if no time has passed?
1: We only
0: age when we're in corporeal form. Sounds like this other dimension has its advantages.
1: Yes, but we always look forward to this existence and its many pleasures. Here, let me help you with that. The trick is to scoop out the pulp
0: Eat the thin layer inside the rind. Here, try some. It's delicious. Especially if you've been looking forward to it for 60 years. 60 years? Mm. It's a long time between meals. All right, Brad, so I don't want to um, sort of tip your hand or anything, so why don't you tell me what you think
1: about Meridian, and we'll take it from there. <laughs> well, I'm going to shock. Shock you by saying I did not love this episode. Sure, strong <laughs> I've words. Been pretty, uh, <laughs> I've been pretty, pretty upbeat about uh, episodes I reviewed so far. This is the first one I've just uh, absolutely hated. Hmm. Um, I, I have to say, uh, uh, you said this was a Dax episode. In my heart, this is a Jeffrey Combs episode. Sure. Yeah. Uh, that's that's George.
0: the big, the big news is that he played. I think the guy's name is Tiron, something like that.
1: Yep. Tiron, something like that. Yeah. But he, he absolutely. Saves any, he, he pulls up and, and prevents um, complete disaster uh, on this episode by being great, as he always is. Yep. In every character he plays. Um, and his, his interactions with Quark and the whole B plot about trying to make, uh, for lack of a better word, Akira fuck doll. Yep. Uh, <laughs> is really dark and hilarious. <laughs> and uh, like that, to me, is the only part of this episode that was enjoyable
0: the so the the, yeah there's two aspects to this story there's the even the the uh, wikipedia entry description splits it into two episodes there's the kira and quirk thing which you brought up which jeffrey coombs plays um uh the alien patron who is trying to get a hollow er image of major kira um that one is bizarre and the, the A plot is the Jadzia falling in love story, which I'd rather t- I'd like to start off with the Jadzia one because I think it's sure. easier to go through. This is the blandest, dumbest oh. story that I think we've seen on the show so far. And it to me, the script for this idea almost felt like someone in Hollywood writes a, oh, you have a 44 minute uh, hour long drama TV show. Here is the template you use for a falling in love story. Uh, But like you need to fill in the blanks. And the writer was like, you know what? Fuck that. I'm just going to use the template. I'm not going to (laughs) bother filling in the blanks with what this is. And there's like no, there's no character work whatsoever in the entire thing, except for the very end, which is when Cisco and Dax say goodbye, which is cringy, And it shouldn't be. It should be like a a very emotionally interesting thing. And I feel it almost kind of is when, you know, when, when Dax says a line about we've lived two lifetimes as friends, you're like, Oh, it's kind of charming. But instead it's just, it's very cringy and it's so bland. There's no, I don't believe anything. I don't believe that Dax would do this. I don't believe that she would stick behind. I can't believe that she actually would have stayed behind if she hadn't been responsible for them almost phasing out of existence or something at the very end. It's all very weird. What did you think?
1: Oh, it doesn't make any sense. It's terrible. It's, uh, I'm not against... I'm not one of those Star Trek fans. It's like, it, it gross, you're trying to put romance in my, my story about cool spaceships. I, I think that there's definitely a place for romance in Star Trek. There's definitely a place for those stories. There's just no chemistry anywhere in this story. The guy that she falls in love with, basically just, what does he do to gain her a favor? I mean, it's clearly just an infatuation. Yeah, uh, yeah, there's no, there's no way any kind of real love could develop between those two in the span of a couple days, uh, to the point where Dax would give up her career and risk her life to be with this person. That's totally against seven lifetimes of experience, <clears throat> you know, that she's accumulated. You'd think that she would be more familiar with this pattern of love and and love versus lust versus infatuation yeah she has seven lifetimes to have figured that out and i understand that can be very overpowering and very strong and maybe i kind of gave the episode a little bit of credit maybe that's what it's talking about is that even with all this experience your heart can pull you in ways that you don't expect you know maybe but then show us that like show show us some emotion and and her acting it just continues to be weak the acting of the guy that she fell in love with was super weak. he was he looked like he was about to fall asleep yeah. in every episode he was <laughs> yeah. in. It was just, there was no chemistry going on. And what do they do that bonds them together? He flirts with her at, at brunch and offers to like help her eat a grapefruit yeah, o- yep. or something. Yep. And, and she's like, okay, this guy, I'm going to spend time with this guy if he wants to you know, help me eat my breakfast. They go and take a walk in the park and climb up a tree. And then she has some line about, like, it's been forever since I've done this. Yeah. I've walked in a park. I've climbed up a tree. Like, she lists the thing they, <laughs> things that they just did. And it's like, you've had seven people's full lifetimes inside of you. You can't remember walking in a park or climbing up a tree before?
0: Right. <laughs> and feeling it's such a revelation, being like, I can't believe this is actually how people live. It's the, it's the goofy sort of Luddite star trek perspective where they're like every character seems to think that true paradise is just going to a planet where you have to farm your own food and climb your own tree and everything (laughs) like there's they the star trek characters really hate their technology they just they want to live in this very simplistic farmer pastoral lifestyle and every time they do that's always portrayed as uh the peak of what humanity would want to attain i mean Mm-hmm. The, the thing here is I completely agree about the lack of chemistry between them. If you're like thinking about it, I would say that 90% of guest star driven love concept shows are failures on Star Trek. It just, it does not work because it's too difficult to build a believable romance in this amount of time. Um, if you span the relationship across a series, it makes a bit more sense, but you know, with exceptions, like, obviously exceptions would be like um, The City on the Edge of Forever, which is very good, uh, oh, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Uh, the um, Lessons from TNG is very good. Mm-hmm. But every single Deanna Troy and uh, Beverly Crusher episode where they tried to do this is terrible. The yeah. Data one is not particularly good. Uh, and Half a Life even is is good, but it's not great. Like, I think it's just the... The preponderance of evidence is that you should not do these kind of episodes. And they do it with Dax here, which to me just really shows that the show is like, we have no idea what to do with this character. Uh, we have no idea what defines this character, or what yeah. they're about to do. Because as you were saying, Dax should not be impulsive like this. Dax is extremely level-headed to the point where the people in this episode, Cisco, is like, I've never thought of... Um, Curzon was a little bit of a crazy guy, but Jed is always thinking about things. And I think that should just be the aspect of the Dax symbiont. That should be the, you have all this knowledge. The reason that you kind of, that she's kind of laissez-faire and, uh, you know, doesn't really worry about things is how I would define Dax is because she has seven lifetimes of realizing not to worry about the small details mm-hmm. kind of. And this episode throws that all away and says, you know what? She'll just fall in love not think better of it not think of all the problems and then no one will have a problem with her deciding to do this and staying behind and not saying like this is insanity what are you doing
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah it does it totally doesn't make sense uh i you know i kind of tried to make excuses for the episode in my head like i said and I, I thought about well you know jadzia is a young woman who has devoted herself to becoming joined and devoted herself to starfleet so maybe she hasn't had um one of those teenage infatuation sort of romances that consumes you and everyone around you is sort of worried about you. Um, Maybe this is for her, like not for the Dax symbiote, but maybe this is her, Jadzia, kind of experiencing that for the first time and then rejecting what the Dax symbiote has to teach her about the past. And even if I view it through that lens, which is pretty forgiving, um, what, what makes it fall down is that they just don't do enough to make me believe that that happened. I, right. They just don't show me how those two characters fell in love. The guy seems totally, he does not seem infatuated in the way that she is. He seems mildly interested in uh, macking on her. Yeah, to the and, point where
0: it, his intentions almost come across as sleazy. And the, the fact yes. that they they have to, because it's only 45 minutes, you have to have your guest star be somewhat aggressive with the relationship right like he he can't they can't build a normal relationship where they get to know each other he has to like he's got his you know they're eating their grapefruit and he's like so how far down your ass do those spots go line or whatever and it's like why why does dax why is why does dax fall for this kind of this kind of attitude it doesn't make sense and you know dax i think has actually been shown to be As you were saying, viewing this through a different lens, Jedzia has previously been shown to be a little bit of a, not I don't don't want to say wild child, but she's not inhibited on any kind of level like that. Like there have been episodes where she has had a one night stand, I think is implied in the episode, and Mm -hmm. you know it's that's fine because that to me feels like it fits the Dax lifestyle or the understanding of how life works because it's like well you just gotta you know get your have your fun now because nothing lasts and everything is kind of fleeting. Although, what's your sense of how, I don't know if I've talked to you about this, how the Dax and Jeds and host relationship works inside of a Trill?
1: Yeah, I, I remember hearing you refer to it as you had a couple different models to try to figure out how it might work. And I think you mentioned one was kind of like the, the symbiote acts as a hard drive for just you know being able to re- recall different experiences. And there are times when I feel like they ascribe to that. It's very confusing to me as well. I've never been able to get a consistent. Uh, read on it. I guess the way I I tend to think of it as is there's a a, a person you know Jadzia who you know her body chemistry and her her brain and everything is is her that's been that way since birth. But then she's got this other nervous system kind of welded onto it that has thoughts and feelings and emotions that uh, she can't help but feel too or remember. She can't stop herself from remembering or feeling those things. So uh, it's not controlling her actions, but it's heavily influencing how she thinks and feels about things. Right. Um, It sort of recalibrates
0: your personality with different experiences that you have to kind of reflect
1: on as you're going through life. Exactly, yeah. So, it may not make her enjoy a certain beverage, but if she, you know, tastes a certain beverage, maybe she'll have a whole plethora of memories that come up from other people's lives that she, Jadzia, would not have had. It's kind of how I think about it. Um yeah, I think that might, works. Yeah, something like that. So it is kind of confusing to sort of tease that apart who's like who's responsible for what of uh, of her actions and feelings. I think the answer is supposed to be it's all of the above. It's it's a combination of her thoughts and feelings and her personality together with these other seven people. Maybe in the case where she's just in this infatuated, you know, um love at first sight type mode, maybe she's not maybe she's suppressing or not paying attention to those um, you know lessons in her head which is similar to how humans act uh, with a single lifetime of memory you can know that something's not good for you and still in the moment feel very much like it's the only thing that matters you can you can we're we're very good at ignoring our better judgment sometimes right. that exists in our heads when it suits us when it suits our emotions so I was willing to believe that that's what was going on here but it just but then it falls back to the bad acting i just it, you have to make me believe that these characters are romeo and juliet and that they they see nothing but each other in each other's eyes and that they're hopelessly in love and i get none of that from
0: this episode. yeah i mean even you know it feels like a TNG plot with this disappearing planet type thing. I I think those series have really moved apart from each other where now these sort of sci-fi B plots to me feel really bizarre on DS nine. Like they don't feel appropriate to what the show does best at this point. Um, And I I was almost feeling it's a wasted opportunity to why doesn't this species have some sort of similarities to the trill that would make her feel at home with them, you know, like interesting. Yeah. They, they, they're they they're not Trill-like at all. And I think one of our patrons is actually going to bring up the fact of, like, if joining is such a sought-after thing, shouldn't Jed Z have a little bit of conflict about removing one of the symbionts from the pool of potential <laughs> suitors? Like, th- there's no discussion about that. And I feel like if she had felt like she belonged there and that this was the only group of people that had really understood her outside of the Trill home world, which we've had our problems with on previous episodes. Maybe that would have been a reason to fall in love, but you don't get any of that. You get the generic, ripped-from-TNG colony people who are wearing super baggy dress shirts with a vest over it. <laughs> like, that's their defining feature. And mm. they have spots. I guess they bonded over the fact that they both have spots, although I think he does not have spots, because I, I did I, not I see it.
1: see this. Did they... I think they really we're scraping the bottom of the barrel for the makeup budget. This alien design is probably the weakest of any Star Trek episode I rem- I can remember.
0: It's it's a it's a single step above kids going to a carnival and getting
1: a cat Makeup, put yes. on them. I, I wrote in my notes, uh, everyone is wearing temporary tattoos.
0: Yeah, that's, that's basically, if you, if you took the cat whiskers and just moved them up to the sides of your eyes, that's <laughs> basically what these people have. And you colored them like red and yellow.
1: You're like, these, this is an alien. This is fantastic. Yes, what, a, what an amazing species of being.
0: Did I, um, I don't know if I've, I think I asked Clay this, but w- what's your sense is, is someone, if you've gone through TNG and you get to this, I feel the DS9 alien designs are except for the Dominion, extremely weak compared to TNG. And I don't know if it's just because they've run out of potential places you can go or if the effort is not there.
1: It's really, I feel like they are really hit or miss. Like either they go all out and they invent um, like T- a complete T- on basically mask. in this episode. Yeah, exactly. They go full tilt. And when they go full tilt, I think they actually do much better than TNG um, in general. Uh, but then when they go back to the lazy humanoid approach, it's really bad. So it's like the the extremes. TNG kind of tried to shoot down the middle, where they're like, okay, we'll give you a couple of cranial ridges and some some sort of spots. Uh, maybe maybe we'll do something with your nose. Um, <laughs> DS9 seems to either be like, well, we're going to go the complete Jim Henson experience, or uh, you know, we're going to just draw a little temp tattoo next to your eye. Yeah,
0: and put <laughs> put your hair in a ponytail. I, I always think of. Um... Move along home is like the peak of terrible alien design. It's just like oh God, bad 80s rock band slash magicians who appear on your station. <laughs> um these guys are the same. These felt these felt very it felt very generic just the way they dress. This idyllic like sort of goofy giant baggy shirt with a vest. It's like none of this makes any goddamn sense. I don't understand why this is happening. I Yeah. I don't find the I read a lot of reviews. that think this is one of the worst episodes of DS Nine, and I, I think, if true, that actually speaks highly of the show in a way that um, this is not. I wouldn't put this on par with some of the worst TNG episodes. Like the, if anything, the Jadzia plot is just so bland that mm. it is terrible at this point. Like it's unforgivably bland. Would how I would be to describe yeah. that storyline? Yeah. The which can move us into the. Uh, Kira storyline, which I'll, I'll ask you after I say, I find the Kira storyline fascinating. It could have been a complete disaster and it's not a complete disaster, but it's also not good because they don't, they, they somehow managed to drive the plot around every aspect that is interesting about that storyline and they turned it into a romantic comedy storyline. And I think that's the problem with it.
1: Oh, it's interesting. I yeah, I'd like to hear more about what what parts of that story you felt like you would like to see. I felt like it was a combination of funny and a little bit dark and a little bit adult for D, for '90s Star Trek. I thought it was definitely veering into territory that most Star Treks avoided, and for that reason, uh, I actually enjoyed it. I thought. <laughs> Because it's basically, it's basically talking about what everyone knows, but nobody wants to talk about, which is that the holosuites are for doing sex stuff.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, they've, um, DS9 is always kind of, not, not they've gotten a little bit more in previous episodes than implying. Like, they, they clearly are saying that people are in there having sex. So this episode is funny because Tyrone comes up and he's like, hey, make me a major Kira thing for the holodeck, for the holosuite, and Quirk is like, what are you going to do with it? And Tyrone's basically like, I'm going to fuck that thing. And it's like, it's like... There, there is no subtlety to it. It's, yeah. it's remarkable how I think Combs does a remarkable job of not having this guy come across as a completely skin crawling character, <laughs> which maybe he should have been a completely skin crawling character. Because I think the interesting thing here is that they're touching on the stuff that they touch on in. um, uh, What is the Barkley episode? Hollow Pursuits. Oh, sure. Hollow Pursuits is the exact same idea, except TNG took the non adult version and they never, the show never brings up what is actually doing with these people. Like, they're like, oh, he's dancing and he's playing swashbuckling adventures with them. He is not, he's definitely not having sex with them, is the thing that TNG would nope, say. Nope, 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 definitely not. That's, that is exactly what's going on here. And I think there's a whole lot of philosophical argument about this. I think I remembered arguing with Clay and Sean about this. Like, is it unethical? to make a version of someone in the holodeck and do things to them. Not even if you had sex, like say you were killing them or something. Mm -hmm. Is that inappropriate or is that unethical to the point where someone should stop you from being able to do that? Because isn't the holodeck just the visual representation of something you can think anyway? And what's the difference there if it's not a real person on the holodeck?
1: Yeah, that gets us to some really great territory. I think as a general ethical framework my opinion would be if you're going to use the likeness of someone then you need to have their consent that That,
0: i i would 100 percent agree with that and i think that's the weirdest part of the episode is that they go around they so hardcore try to not get her consent and to go around it yeah
1: yeah that is definitely what makes this uh feel gross is that he's you know doing all this without her knowledge or consent and that is i do think that is a a clear violation of a person to do that
0: so what if what if you had gone like the um if you own a video sports game and you aren't ea and you don't own the rights to the players what if you just slightly change them like if he called kira like bira and it was just her except with like blonde hair and you know she's six inches shorter or something like is is that ethical to do if you change it enough where it's like it's not an exact copy it's just the same thing Sort of. Yeah,
1: I boy, I wouldn't want to be the judge who has to decide how much is enough uh, change (laughs) (laughs) before it's a different person. It's that I think your intent is still the same. I guess my argument would be, I'll take a little bit of a purist view and say, even if you change the character ten percent and give it a different name, it's clear that your intent was still to provide somebody with this experience—the experience of being intimate with with a third party who does not consent to that in any way and so even though the model may be different or you may have done some you know surface level changes your intent was still wrong and that's would still be a crime in my my so
0: is it uh, i'm just going to push on this because i think it's fascinating. this is what i mean by this is the most fascinating aspect so if you is in your opinion is it wrong to fantasize people without their consent
1: Uh, I think that it's wrong to make a fantasy, uh, give it form in the real world and provide it to others for profit.
0: Okay. So is, yeah, I, I, I I think I'd agree with that. So say, say you made a, is the holodeck worse than a, like a real doll that looks like somebody (laughs) Oh God.
1: Um, I, think I, I the feel case- like it is,
0: but I think that that is me not understanding. I think that's me being tricked by the holodeck into thinking that the holodeck is like a sentient thing. You know what I mean?
1: Sure. Yeah. It definitely has an extra dimension of your, it's, it's simulating a sentient person. Yes. So there's an extra layer of creepy factor on top of that. I, I think it all comes, this is all very, it is fascinating uh, I think it comes down to consent in the end. It, is the person being portrayed consenting to their likeness, their personality, their image being used in this way? And if if it's at all gray, or if the answer is no, then this is then to me it's a clear violation. That's
0: not. So yeah, much. I I think yeah. I I think I'd yeah. agree with that. And maybe we wouldn't have conflict if Kira didn't do that. I mean, it's sort of um, it's. It's kinda of, maybe it's not surprising at Quark's character that he's willing to go so far to do this. You think sure. that he'd have a better means of doing it than having to take a picture of her and stuff like that. But I think that and when I when I say that the episode could have been much worse, I feel they kind of avoid that by making it a comedy. I I can see a lot of I feel like this plot line is ripe for the sort of modern splintering of like perspective analysis that happens like you know in in analysis nowadays there's a lot and there's always been this way but it's it feels like it's super focused now there's there's always the different sort of branches of analysis that you can go through there's like marxist analysis there's feminist analysis there's all this kind of stuff and this storyline feels like depending on how you approach it you can come up with extremely different defenses or criticisms of it and I don't know where I think I personally just kind of land in the middle where I'm like, this is creepy and bizarre. I wish they had done a better job with it, but I don't think it's the worst, most offensive storyline that I think any of the star treks have ever done on the level of um, just being something that's like, wow, they clearly missed the boat on that one. Like they did not get the right tone or anything. I think that Kira is the right. Kira is the right female character to do it with. Uh, to do this storyline with because she is the way she handles it is very of her character and very strong and not hysterical, which I think would have been a huge mistake if she had overreacted to it. I almost feel that the criticisms would be this is upsetting and sort of disturbing that they went down this line. She takes it more in stride and sees it almost as more of a practical joke that she wants no part of on some level. Mm-hmm. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I was just thinking about that because I was. This brings me back to the episode of TNG with Leah Brahms, Galaxy's Child, I think. Sure. Where yeah. she discovers that Geordi has a. Um, you know, it's not implied that there's anything sexual going on, but that, that he's in love with this holodeck version of her. Yeah. And she uh, is enraged, correctly enraged, that, that he's doing all of this and that she feels violated by this. I think she even uses the word violated. And I completely agree with her outrage. Yeah. If anything, I think I think I, I think that kind of outrage at being violated is would be more appropriate for Curious character than. You're right. They kind of do resolve this as though we're a practical joke, and Quark will be Quark. Kind of is yeah. the uh, is the attitude. Yeah, and maybe that's necessary because Quark's a main character, and <clears throat> you're not going to just haul him off in irons. But I feel like that is if this were a real story, that is how it sh- would have ended in. Probably should have ended. I mean, Quark really does commit a a pretty heinous or attempts to commit a series of really heinous crimes. Yeah, he does. I
0: I think that I think the mistake is just making this hollow image for the Hollow Suite fuck session. Like, if why why did if it would have fit the tone so much better if it had been a story where stealing her likeness and not using it in that kind of thing would have been like. You, okay, you can have Kira argue against it being used this way, but it's not some sort of weird personal violation. You're just kind of copying her and
1: using her without her consent. and That would have opened it, the door into some of these issues without going full, full tilt into, yeah. I mean, the fact that he has to get her, that he, in order to recreate her, he's actually digging into Federation medical files. Right, I mean, right. that's, <laughs> that's fucking creepy. Like, that, yeah. that guy should go to jail. For sure. Yes, yeah, <laughs> it, it, he's
0: not doing a very good job at it either. Cork, or Odo immediately finds him out. Um, like it's you bring up the uh, Leah Brahms thing. I, I see. I think I find the Leah Brahms thing more disturbing than this storyline because. Oh, as we've mentioned, and the the way that that storyline wraps up is Geordie flips it on her and says, "I just wanted to be your friend," which is the biggest lie oh, God. possible that he could have said at that moment, and it feels so it's it feels so so much like dirty pool that Jordy would pull that pull that trick on her and be like, "No, I wasn't trying to have sex with your hologram. I was actually trying uh, to be friends yeah. with you." Total lie this that. one at least all the characters are wearing their desires on their sleeves, and so it feels. Skeezier, but also less like the characters are in denial about what they're
1: doing. Interesting. Yeah, I forgot the Galaxy's Child ended that way with Jordy basically pulling the, uh, the it's not nice me, it's guy you. routine. Yeah. The yeah, like I'm going to guilt you into loving me. And, yes, and that's being, exactly like, what he does. Yeah. Oh, that was yeah. You're bringing all that back. That was gross.
0: So, do you know what I mean? Like I feel like these yeah. characters are like, yeah, I'm stealing your hologram and I'm going to have sex with it. That's exactly what I'm going to do. And I respect the I don't respect the um the way that they pull it off, but I respect the fact that they aren't covering it up at this point.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I think it's I I commend the series for taking this on, but I think if they took it on, I feel like this is a much more serious discussion then the tone of the episode gives it it it, 100%. it gives yeah it's it's too lighthearted and it's too much like practical joke haha and and it doesn't give it the serious weight that these issues probably deserve being discussed yeah. i think this should be its own episode where this is really discussed and maybe not make it a main character that does this make it a guest star so that in the end when it's revealed that they've Violated a person like this, you can you can do the right thing, put them on trial, send them to prison. Like, make take a clear stance, show about w- what is too far on the holodeck. I think that would have been a really uh, a better way to handle.
0: It. Yeah, I I I 100% agree. I think it's a, I think it's a failure of tone. It's a failure of understanding why this is not the right storyline for this kind of plot, and it's a. The, the the it's not even really disrespect. Just the, the treating the characters this way makes everyone feel a little bit sort of dirty by the end of it. Yeah, in a way that's like sure. I don't think this is appropriate for what these people should be doing. They should be having a they should be having a real discussion about this as opposed to just being like oh that 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 dirty deviant cork trying to take my picture mm-hmm. so that that guy can have sex with it. Um, very very odd. Although I will like if the if the storyline had been lighter, I really thought that the Kira's body with Quark's head was kind of funny on some level like that's a it's a good solution but the, yeah. the problem is the solution is too light-hearted for the material that it led up to it
1: yeah and that's why I was at the beginning I started out by saying I, I liked this plot line I thought it was funny and I think that's true at a surface level because of course the the image of a uh, beautiful woman's body with Quark's head is just funny on its face
0: the script thinks
1: this is a funny idea sure and if you don't think about it very much it's kind of a funny little b plot but then actually as we've been talking about it and thinking about it i realize it's it's not that funny it's actually kind of it's actually kind of upsetting if you really allow yourself to dig into what's happening and i i feel like the right thing to do would have been not to treat this as a joke and actually as star trek should do dive into the moral aspect of this and and not just come out of it with like well you decide audience but come out with a clear stance that that um you know this is wrong what this character did was wrong they should be punished for this um can, you know make it a story about consent i think that would have been revolutionary for the
0: time yeah yeah i think i, I think i agree with that um let's see do you have anything else it's it's a, it's an episode that is yeah just very 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 odd i mean the, the way that it ends is very very odd uh Jed Z and her quarters sitting by herself with grief is is sort of a weird thing it's like a the tone is just kind of all over the place. I think that the Jedzia storyline is supposed to be very sad. And as you say, the other, the Kira storyline is very like, it's trying to be funny. It thinks it's comedy with what it's doing. Yeah. Uh, whether or not you think it's funny is not, is not what I'm saying, but it's more like the, I think the writer's intent is like, this is a funny story. I'm going to write this. Um, yep. And it doesn't come across that way. Uh, and obviously it's, it's Brigadoon in space. So it's about <laughs> a, a magical Scottish village that appears only once every hundred years. And this is the, uh, the, the take on it. it's. Ivor Stephen Baer was apparently the admirer of Brigadoon. He confessed to creating this idea. Uh, when asked wh- uh, what he thought about his final results, he said, "I am a moron." Is his. Final <laughs> point. So, that's about it. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to talk about with this one, Brad? Nope. No, I think that was it. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting. Anyway, we'll get to patron thoughts. We're gonna play an audio clip. We'll come back and we will read patron thoughts about Meridian. Uh. Uh-uh. uh what do you think you're doing, Quark?
1: Nothing. huh? Then what's this? Oh, you mean this holo-imager. I was just recording an image of the promenade to send home to my mother. huh?
0: You're trying to take a holo-scan of me, and I want to know why.
1: Of you? Not at all. You just happen to get in the fray. Huh.
0: Will you stop doing that? Not until you start telling the truth. You want the truth?
1: I'll tell you the truth. I was trying to get an image of you, for a special Holosuite program I'm designing. Oh, I can
0: just imagine what kind of program that would
1: be. I'm sure you can, but you'd be mistaken. The fact is, I'm working on a simulation of the station's operation center. People want to know what goes on up there, and they want to imagine themselves fending off a Cardassian attack or facing a fleet of Jem'Hadar ships.
0: Naked, I assume. Isn't
1: there some petty thief
0: you can harass? Just you. All right, so if you support the show on patreon.com slash the Penske file, you can go to that website and you can leave thoughts about upcoming episodes. We read them and react to them. Zam Nuclear Wessel says, Meridian, I hate this one. I don't know if it's just that we have yet another Brigadoon planet or the lustful aliens' boring motivations or what, but this episode just angers me. Even Jeffrey Combs, who will get much better DS9 rules later, can't save it. Um, let's. Uh, Combs, uh, maybe. On the if I were to do a Star Trek actor Mount Rushmore, Jeffrey mm-hmm. Combs would probably be one of the faces on that. Would you agree?
1: I I totally agree. I think he is the best. He's my favorite uh, character actor, guest actor in Star Trek. Um, everything he's in is better for having him in it. I actually started I couldn't I couldn't remember his name for some reason in my notes. I kept writing Shran whenever I would refer to him. I, yeah, there, yeah, there from Enterprise. Yeah. Enterprise. That's the role I think I remember him in the most. But certainly, you know, Shren, Weyun, um, all the little bit characters that he plays, they're all, he's just, he's great. He emotes, yeah, yeah. uh Brunt, he's Brunt as well. Yeah, I think uh, he has eight roles across all of the
0: series, and the, the ones from this one, you'd know, are Wayun and uh, Brunt, uh, the Ferengi. Yeah. Um, Wayun is one of my top characters of Star Trek of all time, and I think a wa- is, that's is 100% great. due to the performance that Combs does for him. Um, what do you think it is? I think Combs just is a, Combs strikes a nice balance between taking the role seriously and adding just the right amount of camp to the performance. Like it's a, I think some actors come in and they try to play these aliens too seriously or not sort of broad enough. And Combs really finds the the trait that defines them and blows it up to a point where it doesn't feel like he's making fun of it, but it feels like he's
1: really inside what that character is supposed to be. Yeah. I think you put that perfectly. I was trying to think about how to phrase it. And it was that the, he he brings just enough melodrama into it to be interesting, but he doesn't, he knows where the line is and he doesn't cross the line into cheesy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent.
0: Um, Let's see, Meridian, next thing. And obviously, uh, I was just reviewing this. I'd forgotten that Yun only comes in much later. He's like the end of season four is when he first
1: appears. Yeah, I, so. keep think, I keep thinking I'm going to see him at some point. I forget that it's way
0: down. There. Yeah, it's, we don't see. I don't think we see another Vorta until then. He's the first one that we see again, so it's a long stretch of not seeing them. Uh, sorry, I'm just flipping through these things again to find the next one. The next one is... No one wanted to talk about Meridian, apparently. Hold on one second. Equilibrium. Second skin. Meridian. Matthew Ross says, Seriously, this is so bad. I don't know if it's the because co- of, cause of Dax, about Dax, near Dax, or what. But anyway, at least we don't have to hear about 10 past lives. Maybe the Dominion isn't interested to come here, not so much for the 60-year difference of dimensional travel, but because it's bland. The planet looks like a golf course or a convention center. Two cliche TNG, and DS9. The subplot on DS9 was later used in Babylon 5. No, really. This is becoming a running joke about people uh, arguing about Babylon 5 and and DS9. Have you ever seen
1: Babylon 5, Brad? You know, I'm amazed to say that I haven't. It's always been on my list, and I've never, never gotten around to it.
0: I have never gotten into it either. Maybe after this I might have to, but uh, I was only interested in that Jeffrey Combs was the alien hollow buyer. It was mildly humorous seeing Quark's face on the body model, but whatever. Of course, Dax is the problem, and we'll never see this group of people planet issue ever again. Uh, Matthew brings up something I didn't, uh, I wanted to discuss, and I almost completely forgot about it. This episode is the first one to me that feels like the show is now struggling with how to deal with the Dominion arc and keep yeah. the episodic nature because there is zero reason for them to go into the Gamma Quadrant here. It makes no sense. They don't cloak themselves and they just go in and find a planet in there. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense and it feels totally it's a total betrayal of everything that they've set up to this point. And I understand that the, the show is struggling with how do you have a Star Trek show with this going on in the background, but everything to this point has led me to believe that Starfleet has no Starfleet should have no desire to go into the Gamma Quadrant, and I can only perceive it as a sort of hubris on Starfleet's behalf to this point, where maybe Mm -hmm. the Dominion hasn't shown them enough of what will go wrong if they go in there.
1: I yeah, I totally agree. I actually had that as the first thing that I wrote. They had some comment as they go through the wormhole about how, well, thank God there's no Dominion activity in this sector, so I guess we're okay. And I just thought, how can that be? Like if, if the Federation has the good sense to park a space station on our end of the wormhole to guard it um now that the dominion's been openly hostile to the federation and said we won't allow any more incursions into our space that was made very clear yep in the search why don't they have something on their why is end there the no dominion ds9 on the
0: other side yeah. i think that is yeah. one of the weirdest things that I always question about why that never
1: develops. Why there is no mirror station on the other side of things. And I think you're right. I think it's just because it would cut off any random episodic, let's go take a hike out to the Gamma Quadrant storylines.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's a I think it's a mistake to do that. I think that it because previously we've seen episodes where they're like, oh, the station's getting empty because of the Dominion threat. And this one they're just like, you know what? Forget about this threat. We've got to go in there and talk to random people in vests yeah. uh, and figure things out.
1: But the thing is that they could do this exploring in the Alpha Quadrant. I mean, they the could. area around DS Nine is not well known Federation territory. They've alluded to the fact that the the border between the Federation and Cardassia got redrawn at some point. So you could yep. say, hey, there's new planets that we've never been able to map before, and you could find things there. I mean, you could do all this exploring in the Alpha Quadrant. Yeah, yeah i i would I would have preferred that and
0: just the the they don't go in under cloak they just go over there it's like if you have to yeah. find at least cloak yourself and go in about. uh andrew cairlog says meridian the ds9 equivalent of masterpiece society that is an excellent comparison uh the only saving grace of the episode is quirk odo and kira humor the dex storyline is just a reminder that at this point dex is by far the weakest main character they keep writing dex is either totally uninterested in relationships or is quickly willing to give up everything for a fling the idea of a vanishing planet could have been very compelling, if not for the ridiculous love story. This episode feels like a bad pitch at an early TNG script that somehow made its way to DS9. I 100% agree about the Masterpiece Society. I think it's probably on yeah. par with that, and while the it's different from the Masterpiece Society in that I hated the Prime Directive interpretation in the A-plot on that one, I think that the B-plot of this one is actually where they don't understand
1: what they're talking about. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I wish Cisco had invoked the prime directive and they would have just flown away. from the
0: Yeah. (laughs) There's a planet and now it's not there anymore. Um, Let's see here. Meridian. Joy Mango just says, I've never seen Meridian. I won't watch it when the podcast drops and I may not listen to the podcast, but if the episode is bad, like fascination, I will watch it. Well, we'll have to let you know about that one. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. Joy Mango. And let's see Meridian. Kyle Barrett, Kyle had warned me that he had written an essay. It doesn't seem that bad. Uh, The A-plot is an early TNG-style shit sandwich, and the romance is Troy-level bad. The... Quote, and then we can count each other's spots, end quote line, made me want to puke. Uh The B-plot poses some interesting questions, like does a person own the rights to their hollow image, but the episode barely scratches the surface of these issues. Jeffrey Combs is great, though, and you can see why he'd be asked to come back for multiple roles in several Trek series. He's the perfect type of character actor for Star Trek. Now we just need to get him in Discovery. One final thing. Dex is going to run away with this guy, but you don't think the Trill government would stop her from doing that? Surely, with symbiont joining being not that common and a prodigious honor, the Trill people would have a say in what Jadzia could do with her life. Introducing this wouldn't have saved the episode, but would have added an extra dimension, if you pardon the pun. I'm eager to hear your thoughts. Well, that's about it. I think we covered all of that stuff, but uh, thank you, Kyle, for uh, confirming what we believed. One more patron comment. I always forget about this one. Holly gives me the comments in a different uh, method than the patron post. So Meridian from Holly McLaughlin, a brilliant career woman falls in love and is ready to chuck everything for a man. Gag yawn. Thanks, Holly. Brad, why don't you rate this one on a scale of one to five? What do you think?
1: Okay. This is not usually a struggle I have, but I, I have been struggling with whether this is a one or a two and, uh, I have to only, put it up against other ones that I've in my head rated I think episodes like Move Along Home are pretty clearly a one and I, I feel like if I had to watch an episode again uh, between this and Move Along Home I would actually watch Move Along Home again oh really uh, interesting I, I just because I could get more out of chuckling at that awful episode than I could at this this one just bores me to tears yeah,
0: I, uh, so so you are you're obviously so going to say gonna, this is a one.
1: I'm going to pick it as a one. This is yeah.
0: recalibrated your one scale, is it what you're has. saying. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I I'm also going to give it a one. I will say that to me, the major sin of this one, in my opinion, is that it's tremendously boring. Uh, like I I came away from it thinking that the Dax line was more boring than the Kira storyline was. Um, controversial on some level like i i just did not enjoy the any any part of watching this episode it's really kind of bad and uh yeah. it's interesting i move along home is similar in that regard like it's just kind of bores me to tears but i'm also going to give this one a, a one i don't think it's very good it's definitely the worst of the second or the third season that we've seen so far for sure um And we'll see where it stands at the end of the series run and everything like that. But, guys, if you enjoyed the show, uh, there's social media links in the video description. You can visit all that stuff, Facebook, Twitter, blah, blah, blah. Patreon.com slash the Penske file is where you want to go to support the show. And then Discord. You can go to the Discord server and chat online in real time, sort of, on Discord. Um, That's about it. Brad, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks for having me. I don't know if you have any uh, non-sequiturs that you wanted to talk about, but I don't think I really have anything else that's going on around here. I'll have to think about things. No, I don't I don't have anything that I can do as a non-sequitur. I need to focus on that more when I come back. Uh, we talked about pants in the last episode, I think. That'll serve as my non-sequitur. Space tailoring.
1: Yeah, yep. no, no. I think, we've, I think we've hit all the good notes for this episode. I'm, I mean, I'm mentally exhausted thinking about how, how boring this episode is. <laughs>
0: We're recording this on Father's Day, so happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. We'll be four days late with our uh, happy Father's Day, but that's about it. Uh, Anyway, guys, thank you very much for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. It means a tremendous amount, and as always... If you support the show on Patreon and you're the captain tier level, you get a little shout out at the end. Thank you to Stephen Cobb, Robert Cummins, Andrew K. Log, Matthew Cutler, Spinobi, Eric Johnson, Nathan Elliott, Ewan Tibbetts, Texas Sebastiani, Neil Brendan, Carrier Mobility, Michael Pond, Bradley Killens, Rune Vendler, Jay Stanley, Mike Burnett, Matthew Ross, Ben Douglas, Kyle Barrett, Joint Mango, Tark Latif. Thank you very much, guys. You make the show possible. Much appreciated. And that's about it. Uh, let's see, we'll be back. Brad, what's the episode after this? I don't remember. Oh, it's a defiance, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. It's defiance. And so we'll be back. Clay should be back for that one and possibly another special guest. So looking forward to it. Thank you very much. And we will see you next time.